Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world. Together, verse one. Ready, read. Oh, they were caught in the spirit in the back. I don't care if you go get your breakthrough. I don't care what's going on. If you need something, you just just grab up there and get it. God moves in song. He moves in the word. You just keep grabbing whatever you need. He sees you. You know that. You know, it's a difficult thing when you don't believe that God sees your circumstances. He knows your requests from a great distance. You don't even have to ask him. He already knows. What if I told you he knows? Even when you're worshiping, you just need to know he knows. He cares. He senses what you're going through, the pains, the ups and downs, the uncertainty, the, the disappointment, the starting another year with a whole set of expectations, but yet the anxiety that you don't know if that's the right thing or the wrong thing, and your emotions are all over the place, and you're hoping you get an answer. He cares. He understands. He draws near to you. All you do is call out to him in your confusion. Call out to him when you're not certain what should happen next. Just remember his amazing grace. Remember his mercy. Just, just, just know that God is a very present help, and it's your hour or time of need. He's here. He's here helping you. And even as we get into the Word, I believe there's answers in the Word of God. There's answers. 
It's not always exactly what we want to hear, but it can speak to our situation and it can upgrade us and take us to another spot. Okay, Matthew 6, verse 1. We're going to read 33 as well. Ready? Read. Let's just read that again. Let's, all right, let's, on three, like together with power, throw it out there now. Ready? One, two, three. Thirty-three. You know, prioritizing God at the beginning of the year is something that we seemingly are all willing to do. But what I'm after today is what is the motivation behind what you do and why you do it. You know, my mother was uh, tough growing up, you know, in Detroit's inner city. It was not like just trusting the person down the street or whatever. You had to vet them over a period of time to know whether it was some place that you could hang out or, or be around. My mother had gotten me uh, around some, a Christian family. To, uh, this mother had two sons. Let's call them Stevie and Johnny. Stevie and Johnny, they... Uh, they were in Bible class with me. They uh, were doing confirmation class with me. They did, they did spiritual talents when we received our Lutheran tithe envelopes. They, you know, for those who came from the Lutheran persuasion, Missouri Synod, you received envelope telling you what you give. each. It was a big thing to get it. I got one. You know, and these were the young men that I was, you know, just modeling. They were model citizens to me. And so my mother had gotten to the point to where she said something she never said. Baby, you can go hang out with those boys anytime. You know, I was, I was extraordinary. We didn't get to hang anywhere. And, and I remember the first time going over to their house, something became apparent to me immediately that who I thought they were as Christians and believers was not actually who they were. And then upon entering their home, in engaging in our play activities, I knew that their morals were not consistent with Jesus' morals. Their vision wasn't consistent with Jesus' vision. Their life was not as a Christ follower, but they did so many right things, but they didn't do it from the right place. Have you ever been in that circumstance where you got close to someone who you thought to be a model believer or model citizen, and they did something inconsistent with what a believer should do. Doesn't it bring a sense of disappointment in you? You see, to some degree, we all are, have some level of posturing, imposing, and acting. We all want to project. Now, for those of you who are Titans fans, we watched a great victory yesterday, and we defeated a great enemy of the world. <laughs> God bless Tom Brady. But we defeated him. From time to time, 
uh, Pastor Dave, people will walk up to me and assume I'm a Tennessee Titan. And I don't want to disappoint them, but I don't want to lie. So I deceive. I just, when they ask me, hey, you, you're a Titan, I say, well, just keep walking. I didn't say I wasn't, I didn't say I wasn't, I was just deceiving them, which is still wrong. The point is, is that there's times in our life when we would prefer to personify something other than that we are. And even though the people who worked hard in their profession to be at a certain place, I wanted to put myself there, but I was not there. Isn't it funny that we can all think about people like Stevie and Johnny, or maybe even ourselves, who give the appearance of one thing for a selfish benefit, but in actuality, there's a lack of genuineness there. Jesus, when he's preaching uh, uh, on this mountain, Jesus, when he is talking to all his people, wants to bring some clarity. He's just gone through the Beatitudes. He had just said that we should be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a, 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 a lamp. And then he, he tells us who we should be, and then he starts saying who we should not be like. We shouldn't be like the scribes and the Pharisees who were dominating the religious landscape of the day. When you thought about who was doing it the best, you thought about the Pharisees. You thought about them being the strictest, the, the, you know, sticking to the letter of the law, crossing every T, dotting every I, knowing exactly what the expectation is, and then meeting that expectation. Yet they found, to me, when I read the scriptures, it's like they irritated Jesus. It's like you read it, and Jesus would say stuff to them like, whoa to the Pharisees. You know what I'm saying? He called them vipers and just names. You know, you don't call people a viper. These are the people who are setting the religious landscape or the religious standard. And we can see when we read verse 1, and he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness before men to get their reward. And then when you look at verse 33, he says, but seek ye first his righteousness. We can see this contrasting idea that there is a righteousness that man produces and there's a righteousness that God is and, and that you really should be seeking God's righteousness and not our own righteousness. But these Pharisees have been polluting the water by doing the right thing with the wrong motive. And, and what would they say? They would say, Jesus said, they'll say to you that um, it's so, you know, that a, a woman shouldn't commit adultery. He said, but, but I say that even if you look upon someone lustfully, that's adultery. He said, I'm, 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 I'm telling you a higher standard. You think you're a standard keepers. I'm not here to do away with the law. I'm here to fulfill the law. You've heard it said, love them, hate them to hate you, love them to love you. I say, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. You see, uh, uh, here, here's one. He says that if you want to divorce a woman, you write her a letter of divorce. But he says anybody who divorces a woman except for the cause of sexual Im immorality can cause her to be an adulteress and enter into adulterous relationships. So even the way Jesus speaks about the letter of the law is, is his standard is much higher. He's fulfilling it the other way. But these are the people on earth who think that they've got it going on. Have you ever been there? I, I, I've been that guy. I, unfortunately, I, I, you know, I'll park on me so you don't have to park on yourself. 
I've been that guy. I, I used to say stuff like this. This is terrible. This is terrible, Curtis. It's terrible. I'm the greatest Christian I know. Mm, I said it before. I was young. I was young. I was young. I was young. I would never say something like that now. I had a lot of jokes came, but I, I held back. You see, Jesus, everything that he's going to talk about in chapter 6 is the shift from one mindset to another. There's three particular things he's going to deal with that we're going to see. You're going to see him dealing with our giving or almsgiving. You're going to see him dealing with praying. And you're going to have to see him dealing with fasting. But, it was with a, but he's going to recalibrate these basic things that all believers should do and participate in and give you a right focus on it. So therefore, it's a wrong one, and there's a right one. Now, he uses a term that we're going to run across when we start running through these scriptures that you, you need to be aware of. I actually debated whether or not to use the biblical term because I thought it was a little tough. But that was what I was thinking. And I'm, my boss is Jesus, so you got to hear the word. And the word was hypocrite. Now, I don't like to use that word because typically when you hear the word hypocrite, the first thing to, that comes to our mind is, I'm glad I'm not one of them. And if I asked everybody to raise their hand that's not a hypocrite, everybody in this room would raise your hand. But perhaps we have not defined it correctly. Now, when the Bible defines hypocrite, it's an actor on a stage, someone who wears a mask, who can say one thing and do another. Now, do you resemble that a little bit? Can you say one thing and do another? Do you only have the letter but not the spirit? Do you know God's intent behind a thing? Are you seeking your good or are you seeking the kingdom's good? You see, this might change the category. So let's look, look at the first thing. It says, but, uh, verse 2. He says, so when you give to the needy. So he assumes this is something that's going to happen. He assumes that generosity is a part of the believer's lifestyle. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. You know why he says don't announce it with trumpets? Because they had been announcing it with trumpets. I'm going to move fast. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. They weren't just blowing the trumpet. Here's what it would sound like. And it says to, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So he says, they would, they would, they would literally, back in the day, blast a trumpet like would have uh, uh, receptacles here, and you throw in $1,000. Somebody give me a trumpet. You shouldn't have taken the bait. It was a horrible trumpet. Horrible trumpet. Terrible. That was, that was a toot-toot. Anyway. They blow, they blow the trumpet $1,000. There was someone observing what you do, and your status was viewed by how generous you could be or, or how generous you were not or how much you could put in. And they were doing this in the synagogue, and they were doing this on the outside. And they were doing it to receive the praise of men. But if you want to get the praise of men, you're going to lose the approval of God. What do you do when it comes to giving and generosity that's more about how you feel 
about you, how others feel about you, then what Christ wants you to do and how you can honor him. You see, as we, if we read a little further, it says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret that your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. Put a statement up here that I made. I want to read this statement to you. Wrong giving is hypocritical. It's acting. It's posing. It's staging. It's dramatizing. Right giving is done in secret where you, have, you want to honor Jesus by what you do. And no one may know. And he rewarded you openly. I think about Jerome who serves back in the um, sound booth and sets the mics up. And since we moved in this building, Gerald, I see last service I said Gerald. Then I said, but maybe it's Jerome. So this service I said Jerome. So Gerald, if you, I am apologize. You always look like Jerome to me. So, <laughs> serving, it doesn't get a paycheck. We have so many people. Misty, who gave a testimony last week, she's not in service now. She wasn't in the first service, she's not because she's in the back serving. Doesn't get a paycheck. There's so many people who give to God in secret. You'll never see them, you never notice. Our greatest givers, you don't know who they are in our church. Because they don't make an open display of it. They don't make, they don't grandstand. They don't ask for a star with their name on it, put it in the carpet. They don't ask for a brick with their name in it. But yet, they do the work of a hundred. They give for the hundred who don't. They do it to honor Jesus. They do it in secret and they're rewarded openly. Remember, remember the story of Cain and Abel? Cain, the Bible said, brought something to the Lord. Abel brought his fat to the Lord. Then God says he had favor on Abel's. He didn't accept Cain's. He said, but Cain, if you do right, I'll accept you. You see, there's a way God wants us to do things. And you've got to care about it. You have to care about it. The next thing he says is in verse 5. Said when you pray. So are you supposed to pray? Because he said, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, the actors, the posers, those who wear a mask. For they love to pray standing up in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Is it more about your eloquence? Is it more about showing your spirituality? Is showing up for a 6 a.m. prayer meeting more about you showing how disciplined you are to you? Are you trying to demonstrate that, oh, I can just make it through? I I'm just want to know that I'm being consistent. Is that consistency your objective? Because it's right to come to prayer. It's right to pray. But Jesus is going a bit further. What is the motive behind what you do? The Bible says man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. He weighs the spirit. 
The ends does not justify the means. He cares about the way you do it. Sometimes we just say, well, I got it done. Yeah, but you broke all the other stuff getting it done. It does matter. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. And when your father who is unseen sees what you have done in secret, he will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father already knows you have need of. You know, I, I, I relate to the babbling spirit. Because I used to always believe that if you tell God long enough, passionately enough, consistently enough, and you do not change the message, he'll hear you. Because I remember when I wanted to get out of debt. I said, Lord, this is the year of your favor. Your favor is upon me. Your favor is upon me now. This is my jubilee. Jubilee, 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 jubilee. Jubilee, 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 jubilee. Jubilee! And I would just say jubilee as many times as I can to make the year of jubilee come on my life. And this is what the pagans do to their God. This is what they did when they got before Artemis and they got before Baal. They did a bunch of blah, 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 blah. It's impersonal. It doesn't matter. This type of praying is hypocritical. Put my sentence up there. Wrong praying. It's hypocritical. Right praying in secret is rewarded. How do you know? He said, when you pray, verse, go to verse 9. He said, this is how then you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The first thing you need to know when you start fasting and praying is that it is a communal exercise. It is a familial, excuse me, exercise. You're not praying uh, yes, God is deity, but don't think about it as praying to deity. Think about it praying to family. You think about it, if you're praying just to deity, it's a formality. How you dress, how you approach, you, you have form and fashion. When you're praying to our Father, you just, you just feel like you can run up to your Father, hug your Father, get in your Father's lap. You feel like there's a, a level of comfort, there's a, there's a level of familiarity, there's a level, there's, there, 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 the blood has allowed you to, 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 to approach. He said, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may feel receive mercy and favor in a time of need. It's our Father who art in heaven. You have to start your relationship by honoring who he is and where you are versus where he is and, and that he wants a relationship with you. This is the greatest news about prayer. When you come here, it's not a formality. It's not because our church is doing it. It's not because our global movement is doing it. It's not because the people in my life group are going to make me feel bad if I, don't, if I don't come. You're not doing it to show off or show something to people. You're doing it out of love and appreciation of God that you can go into this place and say, our Father. Not just your Father, but our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What if I told you? They're praying in this way, that will, that kingdom come, that will be done, could change your life for the better. But the enemy has tricked us not to pray, that will be done, that kingdom come, that will be done. 
In fact, we go to God in fear. I don't want to tell God that I can do his will because he might take me up on it and start rearranging my life, telling me don't marry this person, marry that, so move to this city, you need to be in children's ministry, you don't need to be in preaching ministry yet. He might just start moving stuff around. But what if I told you that God was telling me to tell you that every day of your life when you're praying, not hypocritically, but when you're praying right, you lay it all on the line for him. Every day. Not my will, but yours be done. Your kingdom, your way of doing things and being right. Are you willing as you approach or you come into days into 2020 Are you willing to pray this as a part of your normal, everyday life? Not my will. Well, you will be blessed. Are you willing to pray this? God, I'm going to stay here. Are you willing to pray the Lord's prayer over your life? Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Yes, it will touch something sacred for you. You know, I, I'll say that. You know, look, hand me my phone. This got to, if you have an iPhone, just wave your hand at me so I know you have it. Yeah, that's fine. iPhone came, wave your hand at me if you have an iPhone. Okay. iPhone did something amazing. They came up with something called screen time. When is the last time you looked at your screen time? Do you want to look at your screen time right now? Let's see how much time your Bible app has, Pastor Bryson. One minute. <laughs> Paper Bible. <laughs> Paper Bible. He doesn't use his Bible app. And that screen time will scare you. Five hours, six hours, eight hours on your phone. And then it says productivity. What was you doing? Oh, Jesus, nothing productive. I'm just telling you, his will is better than yours. You are wasting your time. He's going to do something extraordinary with your time. Thank who The amen, you better praise him. If don't nobody else praise him, you, all the days of your life praise him. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. God cares about you today. He knows what you need today. I love that he put your daily bread. This is to remind you, you need to come to God on a regular basis. When we're not going to be, the Pharisees weren't dependent on God. They were dependent on their own strength and on their own effort and on their own righteousness. And he said in Matthew 5, 20, he says, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of of the Pharisees, you won't be a part of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. They did it solely for them. They're serving God, saying that basically God did something for me, but look what I did for him. I deserve to be here. He can give you your daily bread. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You need a word from God Every day of your life, I'm going to say it again. You need a specific, individual, special rhema word from God every day of your life. Well, I don't know how to get a rhema word. Get your Bible out 
and just peel open a page and just do Bible bingo, and then there you go, you work. Whatever you got to do. You cannot live on bread alone. Your daily bread, you need a word from God. His word is a lamp unto your feet. It's a guide unto your path. You and I need a word from God. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Ooh, gosh. I want debt cancellation. But isn't it funny? He wants you to be a debt canceller. Now, I'm going to park here just for a second. God spoke to me expressly about the weight of unforgiveness. Don't think about it out somewhere else. It's here. Past, present, unforgiveness. Turn into bitterness. How do you know if you've got unforgiveness in your life? Maybe you just haven't noticed it because you remember it often. You remember the pain. You remember the offense. You remember what somebody, you get, if somebody asks you, what happened? Well, I'm going to tell you in 1999, uh, 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 in, November, in November, yeah, and you were supposed to show up. You didn't show up, and it cost me $2. <laughs> you remember. A lot of you are wanting God to bless you in 2020. You want to be free but it's all on your pharisaical own terms. You're going to try to figure out how you can do righteous acts and righteous deeds to win God's uh, uh, approval instead of accepting God's way. Release those who have harmed you from their debt. Forgive. Forgive. If you hang around with unforgiveness long enough, it'll turn into a root of bitterness. No one is exempt from this message. I'm not exempt. If you're going to be a believer, an authentic Christian, you're going to be, you're not going to be a Steve, Stevie or a Johnny. And this is what we do. And it's every day. Every day I say this prayer, I've got to run into this reality. The Holy Ghost says, oh, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. You got a few people you got to get check off. You're still mad at him. You are Bethel World Outreach Church. You listen to me. By the Holy Ghost, God told me you're still mad at people. And then for you, it's unforgiveness. And it is a weight that is holding you back. And you've got to let it go. You've given yourself an excuse to hold on to unforgiveness far too long. And then don't, don't wear the mask. You're presenting as if you've got it all right. But that's what hypocrites do. When I'm in my hypocritical moments, that's what I do. Let's break that cycle because that's wrong. It's not right. And finally, he said, lead us not in temptation. Deliver us from evil. Find us the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. He is worthy of your praise and your attention. You notice whenever he's telling us what to do right, it's secret, it's full of rewards. And I'm going to show you at the end what this reward is. But my last, last one, uh, give me verse uh, 16. He said, when you fast, that's us. When you fast, when you fast tomorrow, 
and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, when you fast and when you pray at 6 a.m. and noon and 7 p.m., do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces and show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they received their reward. Oh, I did this all the time. I remember I did the dumbest thing ever. Derek, I was at, a, at two-a-days, and I decided I was going to go on a three-day fast during two-a-day football practices. Somebody say, foolish, Pastor James. Don't you ever call me a fool. No, I'm, just, I'm playing. <laughs> two-a-day practices. And, and when I, uh, I did that, I wouldn't. I wouldn't dream. I just, and everybody was, what's wrong, James? What's wrong? Oh, I'm just fasting. I'm seeking the Lord. Because you feel spiritual, you know, when you're just miserable. <laughs> you want everybody to know you're miserable. What's wrong? Shh. I've been on three days working on four, been seeing hamburgers in my sleep. Are you showing up to prove something to yourself, to lose a few pounds, to just be part of the culture for the moment, to endure? Are you doing it for him? He said, but when you fast, put oil on your head. Wash your face. So it would not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to the Father who is unseen your father who's unseen sees who, who sees what is done in the secret reward you. You know, when I think about uh, the hypocritical ways in prayer, uh, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, wrong fasting is hypocritical. Wrong praying is hypocritical. Wrong, wrong giving is hypocritical. But right prayer, right fasting, right giving. His secret is rewarded. But, you know, I'm, I feel like I personally identify with more of the hypocritical lifestyle. I can't hate using that word, by the way. But I, I think I'm wearing that mask a little bit. And I get on the stage a little bit. I don't want to, but I think I'm too desperate for Jesus not to just lay bare. I'm just too desperate to play games. And so when I was looking at the Scripture, I, I thought, Wow. Even on my best day, I think I got a little flesh in there. So what's the secret? I got it. The scripture in the 33rd verse gives us the final secret. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. In other words, it's his way of doing things. Seek his righteousness. Remember, the first verse says, be careful as you do Practice your righteousness. This is seeking his righteousness. His righteousness that the Bible says when we, he says when we were, he said he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He imputed to us righteousness. He justified us, sanctified us. And, and, I, and I love how he told, he told uh, Abraham in Genesis 15.1. He said, I am your exceeding great reward. 
Then he told Abraham in James 2 and 3, he says, he says, and Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Don't you understand? We can do nothing on our own. The Scripture says all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who has good motives. There's no one who's doing it right. It is only in Christ, by Christ, through Christ, that we even have a chance for a life. That's why the grace is amazing. I'm so messed up, jacked up, tangled up. I, I, I'm, I'm fruitless without him, but with him I can do all things. Without him I can do absolutely nothing. So the real reward is not your list you have at the new year that you want God to fulfill. Your real reward is getting him and his righteousness, and you get every other thing that you need. So don't seek the thing. Seek the creator. Seek God. Seek Jesus. Seek him, because he can impart to you righteousness. Stand to your feet. Minister team, you can come down. Just lift your hands to the Lord. And in your own way, just let him freshly speak to you. Close your eyes. Don't try to figure out how you want to apply this message. Ask God, the Holy Spirit, to apply it to your life in a way that pleases him. Ask God, the Holy Spirit, to reveal to you what's the next move, what's the next step. Begin to speak that Lord's prayer that our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day of daily bread. Give us our day. Begin to go through your checklist. Say, God, I surrender. I'm available. I'm available. All to Jesus I surrender. Lift your hands and worship just for a moment. Let it be personal. This message is personal. Let it be personal. Whatever you want to do with me, Jesus, not what I want, where you want. Just one more time. Sing it with conviction. Raise your hands to the Lord. Keep your eyes closed and say it.
pray as we leave this place, you go with us. Keep us in the center of your will as the apple of your eye. We'll give you praise for all things in Jesus' name. Give God a round of applause. If you have any prayer needs whatsoever, this is our call to discipleship. Whether you need to get in connection with someone, connection with Jesus, or breakthrough healing, the ministers are here to pray for you. If I've never met you before or the pastoral staff, I'll meet you at Guest Central. And finally, I would love to see you, 120 of you at least, at 6 a.m. prayer. I'll see you at noon, and I'll see you at 7 all this week. God bless you. You are dismissed. Give God another hand of praise. If you've watched this message and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, I've got good news. You can do it right now. I want you to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life for the rest of my life. I acknowledge I am a sinner. I need you, my Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you were raised from the dead on the third day. And I confess that you are now Lord of my life. If you've just prayed that prayer, I have good news for you. You have eternal life. The next step for you is to get in a Bible-believing church. We volunteer to be that church. But if not us, we pray God's blessings on you as you search for God's best for you. Thank you. Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world.